I'm looking for freedom, security, and the time. It's not this quote unquote retirement I'm looking for. It's those other things I'm looking for. I can get those with a lot less money than the prescribed norm of plow your money into an index fund and yeah, you can retire in 20 years, hopefully. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey, welcome back to the pod, boss man. Are you with me? I'm with you. I'm coming to you from New York. I'm feeling particularly ambitious today. Nice. I like it. Something about this city, man. It gets into your bones. It's cool. I always love passing through here. Speaking of ambition, I would say it's fair to say that here at the TNBA pod, it's all about designing a life where your career, your business is in line with how you want to spend your time, the sort of financial goals you have. Congruency, maybe. I'll tell you what, man. I was walking down the street in New York City to get a bagel at nine o'clock this morning. It was a beautiful day. Bagel? By the way, that's like one of the most high calorie things you can do for yourself in the morning. I don't know if you're planning on going to run today or what, but this takes a lot of brain energy okay. to do this podcast, man. I needed that bagel. On your way to the bagel. It's the New York thing to do. <laughs> the owner of the bagel shop was like this real New York guy. He's like, I own a wine bar too down there. But it's, it's mostly women that go to the bar over there and dates and couples and things. And then I own a seafood place down there. <laughs> Chops and steaks and things. You can get anything you want. But we specialize in lobster rolls. <laughs> and I don't know how to do the accent. But I'm just like, I don't know why I loved it so much. I'm just like, this is cool. I like that this guy that you think is just running a bagel counter actually is like, he knows his niches, you know? He's like, I got this wine bar. <laughs> He's into everything. That's great. He's into all different kinds of things. Because I would think like the bagel guy is like this artisanal bagel guy. And he like rides or dies for bagels. But oh no. Do you want a lobster roll? He's good. Do you want to go out on a date and get wine? He's got you covered. <laughs> I like that. He'll do anything. I love it. New York people are cool. They're flexible. You got to think like living in this city. I mean, it's only three hours from where I grew up right? In the Honda Odyssey, I am three hours, but I feel like I'm on a different planet because just in 15 minutes in one shop, you are exposed to so many different types of people. It's crazy. It's really cool. I think it's the greatest city on the planet. And how much did that bagel cost you? I got two bagels, two coffees, and a donut. That donut was not mine. That donut was my friend's, and that was nine bucks. Wow. That's pretty affordable. You know, anytime I see someone with two children in Brooklyn, I think that person is rich, like <laughs> super rich. I just don't see how you can do it. Speaking of rich, let's talk about some frameworks on how to get there. That's in some ways for me, sort of like the fundamental journey on the show. Sure, it's a lot about narratives and stories and tips and stuff. But a lot of it for me is these frameworks that we follow and we explore and we test out in our businesses and in our careers. And one of the ones we've been sort of talking about a lot lately is this idea on the one hand of the early retirement crowd and how they approach getting to a level of financial freedom versus the entrepreneurial frameworks and stories that we talk about on the show. 
Recently, we've had Mr. Money Mustache on the show and the team from Millennial Revolution, and they've been talking a lot about this 4% rule, Ian, which is you sort of save up to a million dollars, and you can safely withdraw $40,000 or 4% a year, the so-called 4% rule, and you never need to work another day in your life. Assuming you don't have expensive hobbies. Assuming you don't need to buy race car tires and assuming you got a million bucks. I mean, look, I don't know a lot of people that got a million bucks. That doesn't mean it's not possible and it's not feasible to go that direction. It's just, look, it's tough to get there. Definitely, if you're a software developer making a couple hundred grand a year, living and working remotely, maybe with low living expenses, but not if you're raising a family in Brooklyn. (laughs) I don't want to say that the possibility isn't there, but look, it's tough. And we know this. And it's an even bigger ask if you know you're a teacher, you're a waiter. And here's the other issue, Ian, about a lot of these so-called four percenters, is that behind the four percent story and the million dollar story, you can generally dig up a story of entrepreneurship somewhere. Like they just didn't go out and buy stocks. Often it's like they got a good deal on an apartment complex or some real estate thing that went down, or the blog that you're reading their story about on is monetized with credit card affiliate links. So look. There's a lot of entrepreneurial hustle stories behind all of these frameworks. And really, it's a weird thing that we're talking about rules and frameworks, but it's kind of like not following the rules is the only rule and like knowing where you want to go and how to get there. So with that as a background, a few days ago, I happened upon a piece by Jace Rodley, someone we've had on the show earlier to talk about his lifestyle in Andorra, and we'll link up to that episode. And the title of his article, Ian, was The 40% Rule. And he sort of tackles on his issues with this early retirement strategy head on. And I thought, I'm going to read this. I settled in with my popcorn and I really enjoyed it. So I was like, man, we got to call this guy up and get him on the show. So as we go through this interview, boss man, we're going to cut in and weigh in with some of our insights on uh, effective paths towards eh, something of an early retirement. What do you say, boss man? Yeah, let's do it, Dan. I'm always interested in different ways that people are figuring out how to quote, retire early. Yeah. And by the way, like live in the beautiful mountains of Andorra while you're doing it. Sounds like a eh, decent start. (laughs) Yeah. Before we get there, I decided to ask Jace about the model of business he's currently building and why it informed the piece he wrote. And just a little personal insight, Jace and his wife are big mountain bikers. So they moved from Australia, where Jace had a stable, well-paid job in the government, to Andorra, which is a beautiful mountainous country, partly to enjoy its hills and trails. And they've recently started a family as well, adding an adorable baby into the mix. So let's get to it. And just a warning, boss man, Jace picked the bumper music for this week's episode. I heard about that. Which is uh, in your genre of preference, so to speak. I'll make sure I'll get your opinion on that at the end of the show. So we started this interview by asking Jace about his business, which broadly focuses on building a portfolio of small websites and then optimizing them to increase revenue. I think there's actually a really good sort of comparison with commercial real estate or even say like a billboard. Let's say you own a billboard, like you buy the land or you buy the billboard, and then you've got maintenance costs. So there's like government fees or something, or you've got to actually maintain that billboard. And then you get rental income 
from owning the billboard. It's kind of the same way online. I kind of look at it as digital real estate. So you've got the website or an application and there's the cost in buying that or building it in the first place. And then you're paying some sort of maintenance costs. So that could be like if you do SEO, the search engine optimization, that could be fresh content or social media posting or something like that. And then you get income of some sort. So advertising fees in the billboard example, you know, you, people can just put a banner ad on your website. That is the simplest way of describing it that I can think of. A site like this that people are in, I was thinking about purchasing a new bicycle carry bag the other day. And as you know, like they kind of start at like $350, very expensive items. And so I Googled something like, what is the lightest hard shell bicycle carry bag? Like this very long search term. Specific. And I ended up at this website where this person was like reviewing in detail, like all the specs and all the weights of all these different things. And of course, if I were to click on one, a lot of those would send me to Amazon, which would, if I would purchase that bike bag, the person who created the website would receive a commission. So this is like similar to what you're talking about here. Definitely. I think the big catch in this field is that there's not one specific way of doing it. Everyone's got a different set up going. And what works for one guy doesn't work for the next. Here's the interesting thing about digital real estate and the interesting thing about online business for me is I think in terms of a few things, if you think about a thousand true fans, which is Kevin Kelly's theory of how you can make a living location independently, you basically need to find a thousand people that are going to support your business. And what I love about that idea is for almost anything, you can imagine a thousand engaged customers globally. That to me is very approachable. Now, if you look at digital assets, you could say, well, there's billions of websites and all I need to do is select one profitable one that has the attributes that fit my thesis. You know, So in other words, like you don't need to just take the next thing that comes by. You can really select based on whatever you like or what you're good at or what fits within your portfolio. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me that having a strong perspective on what you want to do would be valuable. Some people can look at a website and they're very much interested in the revenue it spins off and their time component isn't really a factor. So they might be more than willing to work 30 hours a week running some sort of drop shipping website. And then there's the next guy that he just wants to have a website that maybe requires one hour a week and he's willing to take a hit in the amount of profit he's making for the lack of time that he needs to spend on it. For other people, they're, I would say, looking for similarities in the sites. So, I mean, like any investment portfolio, you can look at diversity, different traffic sources, like good to have a website with social media and organic traffic, maybe paid traffic works for you as well. But every time you introduce one of those, that's overhead that needs to be managed as well. What your criteria are, I think, really depends on the individual. For me, I mean, I like there's two things you brought up. The first is like this idea of having a parlay. So, you know, the first site that I've invested in is now more powerful because I've invested in the second site. You know, because I have an operator that's like very good at running the first site, they're also going to be able to, you know, distribute that expertise to the second site. So now, I, 
you know, my portfolio is more valuable because there's two sites. The thing that I've seen over the years be the most powerful is channel marketing expertise. So people that build portfolios around like, I'm really good at taking a site from number 10 in Google to number one in Google, or I'm really good at marketing sites on Facebook. A lot of investors will say, well, I'm going to improve the funnel. So I'm going to like take the traffic that's coming to the investment and like sell them more stuff or like up level, you know, the level of marketing I'm doing to the customers. That seems great when I hear that strategy, but I just haven't seen it work as much as like people who are doing pure channel plays. Like I'm really good at like this channel of traffic and this business benefits from it. Therefore, I will purchase it. I think it might have something to do with the mindset of an investor is much more like distant from the sorts of things they're doing where if you're like saying you're going to market the business better, like in terms of how you're treating the customers and how you're marketing products to them, that's much more of like an operator mindset. For me personally, I would look at an investment. Again, you can talk about real estate. You can buy the rundown house and you can fix it up and then flip it for more money, right? People are buying undervalued assets, creating more value in that asset, and then it's either worth more, they hold onto it, or they sell it. But for me, I would like to be buying things that they're already worth something. Like Even if I can't improve this in any way possible, it's a good buy. And then, of course, I'm going to try and improve it. But if I can't, for whatever reason, I just like I cannot achieve, then it's still a good buy. And I think that you're protecting yourself there. You know, what I like about this mindset, and we're talking about, you know, there's on the one hand, you've got investor, someone who buys real estate or stocks. And on the other hand, you've got operator, someone who cracks open a laptop and puts up a website and tries to monetize it. And in between, you have like all the gray area in the world. You know, one of the things Justin Jackson said, we had him on the show recently, he said, everyone's starting point is a little bit different. And the reality is, is if you've had a good career, have been good with money, you could potentially have a, a more advantageous starting point. Like one of the things I've often thought about, a concrete example for us is investing in a small business, a very small business, so we're quite conservative, that would take advantage of the contacts in our database. Like I always thought that would be a cool parlay. And it's actually something that we're always looking out for. Like, could you purchase an asset that because the fit of that product is so in line with the people already in your database that the moment you purchase it, the asset value doubles? And that's possible. In fact, we told a story just like that, the story of Splitly, how Jungle Scout came along and bought Splitly. And because the database, the customer focus was so similar, that asset immediately went up in value. I think that's kind of a a really cool idea. Yeah, it is. It's just a way to compound, right? Especially if you have a skill set. Let's take SEO, search engine optimization. I'm a search engine optimization professional by day. I work a job and I make $100,000 a year. It makes a lot of sense to me why this system could work for someone like that with a specific skill set. So you go out and you look for websites that need SEO optimization. So my skill set will directly translate into results for these websites. I buy a website for $100,000 immediately overnight with my expertise. I turn that website into something that's producing 
something like $200,000 a year instead of the $100,000 a year it was producing when I bought it. So you can see immediately how having expertise in a certain area could be advantageous to this type of opportunity. That being said, Dan, I think there is also an opportunity to develop the skill set too, right? So a lot of people, they have a hard time starting from scratch, even us sometimes. We have a hard time doing a lot of things, boss man. But if you can buy something that's already going, it's already moving, already has some momentum, there's an opportunity, I think, to learn on the fly and not have to uh, spend a bunch of money getting up and running. One of the differences is, to me, in traditional investing versus this more operator-focused investing where you're sort of bundling your time into it as well, and maybe a bigger portion of your overall available funds is, you know, you got to keep this like sort of Richard Branson statement in mind, which is deals are like buses. There's always another one coming. So really having a strong point of view for how you can contribute, because it's easy if you have a skill set to get into that consultant's mindset where like everything looks like a lost little puppy and you feel like you can crush it, you know, like, oh, I could fix that or, oh, I could do this or, oh, I could do that. Where I've seen this have success is when people really know what they're going to be bringing to the table, why it's efficient and what their model or thesis is. So Ian, let's move on to the core of Jace's piece that he titled The 40% Rule. And a caveat here, Jace really wanted to emphasize that he's just throwing this out there for discussion. It's not like some serious proven tested theory that he thinks is the truth of the universe. It's more or less just something he was thinking about and spitballing, and I found it fascinating. So the proposition in the article is just this that concentrating on getting a 40% return on a relatively modest investment is, number one, more accessible for those who haven't managed to save up enough to retire early on the 4% rule, and number two, more rewarding for those who want freedom in their lives but also want to stay in the game, working in some way but on their own terms. Definitely starting a family is a catalyst for this mindset. And I think the two major things is time. Freedom's always been a huge deal for me, like freedom of time, freedom of location. But I didn't really understand freedom of time until I was holding my son in my arms. And all of a sudden, I realized I don't want to be in meetings when it's bath time. But what this also represents or a portfolio represents to me is an insurance policy. If I die tomorrow, I would like to be in a situation, and don't get me wrong, I have a long way to go especially from an operations point of view. But I would like to have a portfolio that is paying my family's way. I don't want them to have to freak out. And my wife's got to work extra because my income's not there anymore. I mean, that's the catch with active income. You stop working and it stops rolling in. So I guess for a lot of people, they would go down the track of like a a stock portfolio. This is part two of why I looked into it is everyone talks of the 4% rule for investing in in stock market. But that requires a lot of money as well to make a significant difference to your life. Right. So basically, the 4% rule states, if you put a million dollars in the market, you take 4% out a year to live off of, and that principle will still create for you a retirement outcome, essentially. It's like a safe withdrawal rate. For me, the biggest issue that I've noticed, I would call it like after the exit, if you will, And when I say exit, I also mean retirement because it's exit from a job. I think this is relevant for 70-year-old retirees 
just as it is for 40 year old people that have done the financial independent early retirement thing, just as it is for 30 year old multimillionaire entrepreneurs that have got their huge exit, most of them don't know what to do next. I actually replaced a 65 year old government employee in my past job. He was actually scared of retirement. Like he'd been telling everyone, oh, I'm leaving any day now. His retirement party sucked. He was in tears. His job was literally his life. I see this in some entrepreneur friends. They get their big exit and they're like, okay, what do I do now? They're kind of a little bit lost. And I mean, some people have planned around that. They, and that's cool. For them, that really works. But the big takeaway is they're not stopping work. You know, it's the same thing with the sort of early retirement community. I think for a lot of them, it's fun for a while, like take a year to travel. But a lot of people come back to taking a part-time job just for fun or for some self-worth. And a lot also start a small business. Most of them end up building these types of websites that we're talking about today. I mean, how many financial independence money bloggers have affiliate deals on their websites? Like as well, a lot of people volunteer. It's not about the money, but they're still working. So I guess my takeaway was we sort of glamorize retirement, but at the end of the day, very few people actually retire when they retire. There's so many critiques of the 4% rule, the classic retirement approach, but I like that you're starting with this one. You're critiquing that style of living or that approach to life itself. This idea of like, if your whole life or your whole career is structured towards retirement, then well, at least try it out. Because what I'm seeing when I see people retire is that they don't want it at all. For me, that really resonates, which is good work that you identify with that you're proud of is like at the core of the good life. So why sort of set up this whole spreadsheet system to be out of it? I always wanted to retire at 35. I've got a year to get that down. (laughs) People say, what would you do if you retire? And I'm like, I'd ride bikes every day. I'd work on some cars. You know, that's my dream life. But at the end of the day, I'm working on cars, aren't I? Right. And I'd still end up writing for sure. I couldn't stop myself. I'd have to write random stuff. Today's show is sponsored by Empire Flippers. They're the leading specialist in helping entrepreneurs buy, sell, and invest in online businesses. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Empire Flippers integrated, dedicated teams make sure that you're supported at every stage in the process. And they have a huge audience and great contacts in the industry. So for sellers, you're going to secure a higher price than if you were to sell privately. And if you're a buyer, they're going to save you a ton of time and money by carefully vetting all the businesses on their marketplace. So whether you're looking to buy or sell anything from $20,000 up to seven figures, check out empireflippers.com slash TMBA. And if you go there, you can save yourself 300 bucks. That's because today for TMBA listeners, the Empire Flippers have offered a free business valuation, which normally costs $300. So if you're looking to acquire a business, new offerings are posted every Monday morning. So that's empireflippers.com slash TMBA. And a huge thanks to the team over at Empire Flippers for supporting the TMBA podcast. So, I mean, if you accept the premise that 
good work that you're engaged in is at least a pillar in a good life, all of a sudden the calculation of you know which path to take becomes put in a different relief because a lot of what early retirement suggests, the early retirement community that is, is that you essentially like do one thing in order to achieve another, which is essentially like living, having one of the central pillars of your life as simply a means, not an end. And that's actually one of the core things that bothers me about it. That if you accept that you're going to be working anyway, then all of a sudden choosing good work becomes way more important than exactly how much you're getting paid for it. And if you marry that with this approach to investing on the internet that you could essentially select from hundreds of thousands of different options, you could potentially come away with something that's both fulfilling and profitable. Something else is that maybe you can have the dream tomorrow. How many people might have 500 grand in index funds? I'm not a financial advisor, so please invest wisely. But how many people have 500 grand in index funds and they're getting their 4% on that? And so what's that, 20 grand a year? Theoretically, that's what they're pulling away each year. And they say, I can't retire on 20 grand. What if they put that into another investment that, yes, they had to spend time on that, but actually gives them the freedom to work whenever they want during 24 hours each day, the freedom to work from anywhere with an internet connection. 500 grand is a lot of money to put into websites. It's not that much money to put in an index fund. Right. I think that's kind of where where my mindset was coming from. The 40% rule in comparison to the 4% rule, I actually, if you look at a lot of websites, like if you're buying them, I think it's like a 28 times monthly net profit typically you're going to end up with a 40% return on investment, including your time is the core part of that. But if you have nothing else to do with your time, 40% is a way better return than 4% from my perch anyway. So let's say you have a million dollars in index funds, you get your 4%, you get your 40 grand a year in income, and you might spend 10 hours a year rebalancing your portfolio. Okay, that's 10 hours a year. Then there's the 40% rule. So you spend a million dollars in digital assets like SaaS businesses or websites or something, affiliate sites. That's a lot more income. Like that's 400K in income. But you might be spending 10 hours a week actively managing that portfolio. It's really a time component and also a learning component. I think for a lot of people, that's a deal breaker because they're, no, I've worked so hard for so long. I'm going to retire. I'm not going to have anything tying me down. Then that's not going to work for them. But if you can get through that psychology, then you could potentially semi-retire tomorrow. Or maybe it just means that your goal number is something you can hit in two years instead of 20 years. If you buy like the 40% rule over the 4%, then you could start with 100,000 instead of a million. I mean, this is one of the core critiques of the early retirement community is, well, how are you going to get a million dollars? You know, That's a very tough thing to do. But you're saying, well, you could start with 100,000. Well, my first thought was, well, you could start with 10. Now, all of a sudden, the floodgates open in terms of how early you can get involved. And if you don't have the money, you can also invest more time. And one of the things you bring up too is, you say, oddly enough, most people believe in others more than themselves. Well, look, I don't know if that's actually everyone, but I mean, most people I know feel more comfortable investing in 
like a large telecommunications company than they do. I mean, starting a business is risky. That's the social rhetoric. Starting a business is risky. Therefore, if you're investing money in a website, that's risky. But if you can get through that psychology and actually invest in yourself, believe in yourself, believe that you're going to hustle way harder than your boss will for your job, for your income, then surely you also get a lot of safety there. And you also mentioned knowledge is critical to this. So you brought up the example of you can buy like Hong Kong property through a REIT. Just cutting in here to say that a REIT is an acronym for Real Estate Investment Trust. So these are essentially corporations that own and manage portfolios of real estate properties and mortgages. But ultimately, you would never know jack shit about Hong Kong property. There's a plus and minus to that at the end of the day, right? Like you basically don't equip yourself with any knowledge to like see opportunities or to avoid disasters or to take advantage of disasters. You just own a REIT. Buying a website as a business, if you don't even know SEO, you don't know how to run a website, but you decide that this is for me, I'm going to do this and I'm going to spend the next two years learning how to do all this stuff. You're going to be really, really, really cautious going into it, right? You're going to do your research. You probably consult a whole bunch of people. How many people legitimately do that when they just plow money into the stock market? They have audits. Surely it's all legit, but it's not. I mean, a lot of people are buying assets. They don't even know what they are. My whole question is, do you really want to retire? Like, really? Because I tell myself I want to retire. I've been telling myself forever. I'm going to retire. Work sucks. I'm just going to retire. Yeah, it's not really the case. What do I really want from life? I have a list in that article. I'm going to read from the list because it's pretty much my list. I don't want money stress. I want freedom of time. I don't want to have meetings with people when, like I said, I want to give my son a bath or when he grows up. I want to be out teaching him how to ride a bike. So I'm more than happy working, but I want to work on my terms. I want to work from wherever I want, freedom of location. I live in Andorra in Europe. My family's in Australia. I enjoy travel. I don't want to be tied to an office. I want to work on things I care about. And I also want to be able to work at a slower pace. Honestly, I have some of my best thoughts sometimes when I'm out in the mountains in the middle of nowhere and I kind of the light bulb moment happens and I realize I should do that. My point of view is most or a lot of people, but I'll speak for myself, I'm looking for freedom, security and the time. And it's actually not this quote unquote retirement I'm looking for. It's those other things I'm looking for. And I can get those with a lot less money using this other method rather than the prescribed norm of plow your money into an index fund and yeah, you can retire in 20 years, hopefully. So having like that strong perspective that is highly personal can get you a lot of flack and particularly with people like on traditional paths, whether that's entrepreneurship or career, if you say you want to work at a slower pace, if you say those things, But if you're out there listening to this, and Jace, I encourage you to embrace that because if you come back to the top of the episode, like looking at the hundreds of thousands of opportunities, the 7 billion people, if you know who you are, it's very possible that you can find something that fits your thesis. There's an episode that that I really enjoyed and a story that I watched unfold in real life is Mark Brenwall's episode. 
and I'll link up to that. It was a few years ago we interviewed him on this show. He came from a life where it was on the traditional path untenable and came into entrepreneurship with a strong personal thesis. And he became a website investor. And it took him many, many months, if not, it was not even in the first year that he found eventually the property that fit. It was similar kind of stuff, you know, the pace, the meetings, the clients, the types of customers. And now it's an incredibly successful business. He found it. You know, in other words, like what you're looking for in this world probably exists from a business perspective. It just might take you some time to find it or build it. I fully agree with that. And that's something I've been working on a lot lately is almost setting the conditions before finding the deal. I'm a really pretty open-minded person and I can get excited about ideas and everything. And that'll get me into a whole bunch of the wrong stuff because you're like, this is a great idea. What could possibly go wrong? And next thing you know, you're working like crazy hours for nothing. What if you set the conditions beforehand? I mean, so in the context of what we're talking about, I have a calculator set up and I look at websites from the point of view of what are my conditions. A core one for me is time. When I talk about the 40% rule, I'm talking about inclusive of your time. But I'm actually looking for investments myself exclusive of time. Because in future, I want to be paying someone for all of the operations of the website. It depends on you. And I would think that, say, like the institutional investors, right? I mean, we're talking about people like me with nowhere near enough money. I mean, what about the guys that are coming into this with multiple millions, well, hundreds of millions snapping up websites? You can be sure that they're looking at the return after time, after the operations cost. Some people might want 10, 20 websites so they're diversified. The next person might want one so they can focus. It's, I think, very important to know going into this kind of world what you actually want. So your fundamental hunch, to sum up, is that if you're willing to attach your energy and effort along with your capital, you can 10x the value of your capital. And that's compared with investing in raw commodities. So commodities like real estate and REITs and index funds, they're just absolutely, you can go buy one in five minutes. And that's exactly the problem because everyone can go buy one in five minutes. You're saying time, energy, courage to define your parameters, to sift through the haystack. You're going to get a 10x advantage on that capital because you might take you six months to find something worth investing in. Honestly, I'm saying 40%, but I think it's a range. And I think you'd, you'd almost have to try to get less than 20%. But if you know what you're doing and if you take your time as well, I actually think 40% is pretty conservative. If someone's willing to take the time and take the risk and make the knowledge and all this sort of stuff, then yeah, I think there's real opportunity here. And the other thing is sustain the early days when you don't have enough capital to live off of. Right. If you're not starting at that level where you have a hundred grand to apply, finding any way to make the bridge can be a real challenge as well. Whether that's sleeping on friends' couches for young people or having a core client for people that need to sustain a household. For so many of us, it's a remote work agreement, it's a core client, it's a hustle or whatever that kind of gets you across that bridge if you don't have capital to start with. Yeah, 
honestly, when I wrote this, I was thinking with a couple of friends in mind, and I think this is the perfect scenario to actually start as a side hustle. I mean, if you're already working that job, you could buy a small website to learn the ropes, you know, kind of get your feet wet. And that can end up being the freedom giving income source in the future. Fantastic. Thanks for joining us on the pod. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. Really fun concept for me. What do you think of this rap music, by the way? First off, let's get a judgment on the rap music, then we'll move on to the principle. <laughs> it's cool. I haven't heard it before. I feel like uh, my job's getting taken over there. Right. <laughs> we had rap and reviews. I got to pick the songs for a long time, then all of a sudden we're bringing it back, but I don't get to pick the songs. I'm not sure how I feel about this. For those of you who have recently joined the Tropical MBA community, there's a lot of you. We used to read off the iTunes reviews of this show to a music bed of Ian's favorite rap songs. We should bring it back. We should do it sometime. I miss it. Does anybody still re- leave reviews, not only for our site, but for... There's some reviews there. Oh, okay. Yeah, we appreciate it. Those iTunes reviews still help. Cool. Here's some of the things that occurred to me. Let's just toss some numbers out. The 40% rule is a bit different in kind than the 4% rule because the 4% rule is about like sort of what you can withdraw safely. And the 40% rule is really about the potential of earnings or compounding your wealth through small business. Passive versus active. Passive versus active. That's a great way to put it. Investor versus operator. It's like sort of the distinction we brought up at the top of the show. Here's just a pattern I want to toss out there. So we write about the thousand day rule. This rule that suggests three years of full-time effort to replace your professional salary with small business income. It just often takes that from the moment you crack that laptop and get your hustle on to the moment that you've kind of reached sort of a sustainable altitude that you think you're going to make it with that business. About three years of full-time effort. That's a lot. But one of the other trends I've seen in our community, and I've kind of tossed it around in private, but I was like, you know what's happening with those thousand-day winners? Of course, it's survivorship bias. But if they keep going to day 2000, to day 2500, essentially they get to like year number seven and eight. That's sort of the tipping point to like wealth. And the interesting thing is I go to a calculator and I type in, you know, if you invest $100,000 in a small business and it compounds 40% for five years, you have like half a million bucks and some change. But if you keep that thing alive and the 40% trend continuing to go for 10 years, you're talking three mil. Now, if we're painting with a broad brush here, that's pretty close to the story that we shared the first eight years on this podcast, Ian, in terms of the numbers. Now, we don't have to jump into the details of that, but just ballpark, yeah, we're kind of talking like that. And it's fascinating to me. You might say, well, this 40% thing, isn't that a little bit unrealistic? Maybe. But look at this. If you buy a $100,000 business from an online brokerage like Empire Flippers, say, for example, thanks guys for sponsoring the show, generally a way like an established business might be valued as three times earnings. So you could expect then ballpark a $100,000 business to you know spin off, say, $33,000 a year, something like that. Well, now you only need to improve that business by seven grand in the first year to make that 40% return that Jace is talking about. So yeah, 40% sounds like a big number, but when you look at what small businesses actually can create, 
it's not so unrealistic. And the reality is, is we've seen it happen a lot, a lot of times where the realistic part comes in is not so much on the numbers for me. Cause look, we've seen this stuff happen faster, slower, all different kinds of directions. It kind of comes in with the effort, ingenuity, and strategy side, because at least in our case, it wasn't a matter of doing it part-time. It was really a lot more energy than having a passive investment. Yeah. I think it can be a lot of work, <laughs> especially in, in the case of the last business that we grew, Dan. So, you know, I think people listening to this show are thinking like, uh, some of them are thinking like, I'll just take my 4%, uh, figured out a way to do that. And you guys are talking about like actually building a business and like getting back to work. I do think that there's a middle ground. I like the fact that Jace has brought up the 40% rule, but it could be the 10% rule or the 20% rule. I think it can actually just be like how much you want to work. You know, for us, it was we want to build a company that makes multi-million dollars and have a bunch of employees. Well, yeah, our returns are going to be better maybe than someone that just wants to be a solo operator and take their 20%. So I think it really comes down to like how much you want to work, what your ambition level is. Also, what's the opportunity within the investment that you've made? You know, does that site, does that property, does that real estate have the opportunity to double or triple? So a lot of factors here, Dan, but I love the fact that these opportunities are available in so many different varieties and colors. Absolutely. And you know, a lot of it, the big word that we haven't mentioned yet that is on the every investor's mind might be luck. A lot of this is luck, but I believe, you know, luck comes from planning, having a strong approach and exposing yourself to a lot of opportunities. And uh, certainly, uh, Jason's got an interesting perspective on that. Let us know what you think. What's your number? Are you a 4%er? Are you a 40%er? Are you somewhere in between or altogether different? Let us know. This one will be posted at tropicalmba.com slash 40% rule. Thanks for joining me, boss man. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. We'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. See you then. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.